Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello everyone and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host and Dungeon Master Ryan Howard, and today we are once again without a guest. Uh, This time, instead of kind of ranting on a specific topic, I am once again bringing you guys another product review. This product review is far from timely, at least kind of in the grand scheme of things. This is a product that's been out for a good long while at this point. Uh, However, this is the first time that I've really talked in detail about this particular setting, at least in a long time. When when Shane Hensley was on the show, we talked about the rule set of Savage Worlds a little bit. Mostly we were focused on Deadlands-specific stuff, as well as, uh, you know, just kind of hearing about Shane's career and kind of a a general overview of of everything that Shane had done. Uh, We'll be talking a lot more specifically about Savage Worlds, specifically with regards to Deadlands next time I'm able to get him on the show. Uh, But in preparation for that, and in preparation for the uh, Adventurer's Edition update of Deadlands, which will be happening sometime in the not-too-distant future. It was supposed to happen at the end of March into early April, but with the coronavirus going on, a lot of upcoming Kickstarters have been delayed. Uh, That does include Skullcano Island, uh, for those of you who are big fans of Levi Combs. I'm sure he'll be, you know, making announcements around that uh, coming soon that will actually push back both his second appearance on the show as well as Shane's, uh, so we'll get to that. But all of that to say, today what I'm doing is I'm giving a full review to the uh, the guide here for Savage Worlds Adventurers Edition. I picked this thing up back in January, and I am going to kind of go through this book and discuss some of the specifics around it, and, you know, give my general thoughts on Savage Worlds versus other settings that I've played in. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Savage Worlds, uh, think of this as kind of a a guide to help you understand what Savage Worlds is compared to other settings that you've played, most notably, for a lot of you, probably D&D 5e especially if you're like me and that's kind of how you got into gaming. So before we jump in, uh, just real quick, want to remind everyone that RollinBonesPodcast.com is the home for all things Rollin' Bones related, including new episodes 
And at some point, once I'm actually a player in a campaign again, I will be doing uh, kind of campaign journals that uh, will allow you guys to keep up with what I do as a player. I would include GM journals, but then there's the whole temptation for my players to go on there and read about what I have going on next. And rather than just telling them don't go to the website, I'd rather not present that temptation to them at all. Uh, so yeah, that, that content will be coming next time uh, someone actually invites me to be a player in a game and I'm able to take them up on it. I've had several invitations, but uh, none that I've been able to actually accept just due to the limited amount of time that you know, we have for hobbies. Unfortunately, uh, most of my time has to go to work. I am on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. And uh, right now I'm actually most active on Instagram. I'm posting a lot on there as I'm trying to get better at miniature painting in preparation for that big Batman game that's coming in December that I backed on Kickstarter. So I'm trying to get good when it comes to painting. I've, I've been practicing a lot of Zenithal priming right now. It's a technique where you prime in black and then prime in white over top of the black to simulate light where it would hit the miniature. It's a really cool technique and I'm, I'm trying it out. I recently painted another mull, which I believe I named him 92 after uh, 97 from my campaign, you know, claiming that they're kind of from the same brood as it were. But I'll be painting a dragon and I just recently got a cool beholder that I'll be painting so yeah my instagram at howard underscore ryan greg is going to be the place for that i've not been as active on twitter recently because i'm not good at twitter unfortunately i'm just i'm kind of bad at twitter i've not cracked what it is that that you know makes people want to follow you on twitter so not a lot of activity on there you know i i do interact with people on there when someone reaches out to me uh typically levi combs is really good about doing follow fridays i typically try to do follow fridays as well i kind of fell off the wagon this friday though so uh be back to it next week so, without further ado, uh, let's get right down to this, uh, this review here of Savage Worlds Adventures Edition, or Suede, as it's called online and as I will be calling it for the rest of the review. So, first bite is with the eyes. Some of you might be, you know, doing this in a PDF. More power to you. You're spending less money, which is good. I don't like PDFs, as you've heard me talk about on the show before. My eyes hurt when I try to read for extended periods of time off of a computer screen, so I like to have hard copies. And I most certainly do have a hard copy here. It's a nice hard cover. Uh, the cover on this thing is actually pretty cool. It's a wraparound cover depicting an adventurer, kind of a, a female Indiana Jones type, who is climbing up a snowy mountain with a uh, what looks like a Yeti just kind of off in the distance. Really cool uh, image here. Let's see who who did the spread, which is also on the uh, the inside cover as you open the book up. Uh, so the cover art was done by Jimbo Salgado and Unique Soperi. I hope I pronounced those names correctly. Someone can always correct me there. 
And of course, uh, with this being a Savage Worlds book, it was written and designed by Shane Hensley, former guest on the show, great friend of the show, all-around great guy, someone who taught me a lot about dungeon mastering, even though he only was my GM for a single convention one-shot. And uh, with the assist here is Clinton Black, who I will someday try to bring on the show, uh, just to talk about more things Pinnacle Entertainment. Overall, as a, as a package... Uh, this is a really cool book. The layout of this book, it's kind of like a like a dossier almost, like a, like something you could imagine from you know, like Mission Impossible or James Bond. And I really got to give uh, got to give props to uh, the the designer who laid this out, uh, Carl Kiesler and uh, Thomas Shook. And I I bring them up because I just recently realized that uh, Carl Kiesler follows me on Instagram. I, I'd known for a while that a guy named Carl Kiesler followed me on Instagram, but it, it took a little bit of digging and me putting pieces together to realize that those were the same Carl Kieslers. So, Carl, thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to bringing you on the show as well. So, yeah, with that kind of general overview out of the way, uh, let me give a little bit of background on my experience with Savage Worlds. So I have played Savage Worlds approximately once, and that was that same uh, convention one-shot that Shane ran, uh, which was the Demon Pigs of Cotchess County in Deadlands. So I've only played with one setting, and then I've played Deadlands Classic before. That was what I was running when uh, the Deadlands incident occurred. And it's similar, but very, very different. The best way to explain Savage Worlds, for those of you who haven't played it, but maybe have played uh, Deadlands Classic, is that Savage Worlds is like those Deadlands Classic rules, but modernized and a lot more streamlined and a lot more straightforward. There was a lot of kind of clunkiness to the Deadlands Classic rule set, and the reason I went with it was you didn't need to get an additional book other than the Deadlands book to run it. You know, I was looking into doing Deadlands Reloaded because it was a newer book at the time, but then I realized, you know, you need the Savage Worlds core rulebook, and at that point I didn't have a whole lot of money, so I could really only afford to do the Marshall's Handbook and the, uh, the Player's Guide for Deadlands, and so I opted for Deadlands Classic since you could run those with just those books. Uh, but anyway, I have played Savage Worlds. I have not played Adventurer's Edition, but the changes between the last edition of Savage Worlds and Adventurer's Edition are kind of minimal. Uh, just a handful of things here or there that are explained in the book itself, kind of where changes were made. Uh, the overall package here will cost you right around, uh, I believe it MSRPs for $39.99 USD, uh, so right around $40. I think I got my copy on sale on Amazon. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I got it on sale. I think I might have paid $29 for it. But overall, I mean, that's not a bad price. That's pretty much standard when it comes to RPG books. And as a player or GM, uh, this is really all you need. 
although I would recommend buying the setting books for whatever setting you are hoping to run in, because when it comes to the specific Savage World settings, this is not what I would call a complete package, because there's a lot of kind of nitty-gritty stuff that's specific to each Savage World setting that you'll need to run a complete game. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So, again, for those of you who are not at all familiar with Savage Worlds, it is what's referred to as a setting agnostic system. Now, what that means is that you can play it in any setting, any time period, any time frame. As far as the stuff that they have, uh, Pinnacle has released settings for Savage Worlds that are modern. Uh, they've got, like... Ancient Rome, Deadlands, as I've already mentioned, is uh, Wild West meets horror meets uh, eldritch fantasy, kind of. They've got pure fantasy settings. They have superhero settings. They have a setting called Necessary Evil, where aliens have taken over the Earth and killed all the superheroes, so the supervillains have to become the new heroes. They've got a Solomon Kane setting. There's all kinds of interesting and cool stuff that you can do with Savage Worlds, including make your own setting, which is possible with this book. But all of that to say, basically, you can run just about anything you want to in Savage Worlds with relative ease. There there might be a little bit of fiddling with the rules that you'll have to do for certain settings, especially when it comes to the area of firearms. Uh, there's a lot of rules that are specific to firearms in this setting uh, that deal with what modern firearms would, would do that might not be applicable to, say, something set in the 18th or 19th century century, although 19th century is kind of covered by Deadlands, but still, th there might be some kind of fiddling that you'd have to do to make it work, but that's, that's definitely what the system is designed for. You can do anything that you want with Savage Worlds, which is one of the, the biggest strengths of it. And I feel like it does this a little bit better than GURPS, although I don't have a lot of experience with GURPS. Um, I've just heard people talk about it, and GURPS seems just a little bit kind of generic and bland, whereas Savage Worlds, I feel like, has a lot of, uh, you know, really interesting character to it, which, again, we'll get into. The book starts off kind of by explaining uh, not only the concept of RPGs as a whole, uh, like, say, this is the first RPG book you pick up, it explains kind of, you know, the hobby itself, uh, but it also explains the concept of, uh, you know, a setting agnostic game and, you know, a little bit of the origins of, of Savage Worlds itself. And, uh, you know, you get some good art almost immediately. Like I said, this cover image is really good. Uh, and then there's a really cool image image of a volcano exploding with a girl in what looks like some kind of uh, aboriginal or, or native garb, but she's got like a wrist computer, which is uh, kind of interesting. A little bit Atlantis the Lost Empire going on here. Uh, but all of the interior art in this book is really, really good. Uh, this is a like a really, really cool package here. And uh, Shane does a really good job of kind of explaining, you know, just what all you need to get started and, you know, all, all the, the basics, the, the building blocks that would take to, to run something in Savage Worlds and all the different tools and, and resources you would need. In earnest, though, the book starts off with an explanation of characters, and it gets into the specifics of character creation. So there are two 
major things of note to, to mention about character creation in Savage Worlds that kind of sets it apart from other RPGs. Firstly, there are no classes. This is part of Savage Worlds being setting agnostic. You can't really tie characters to a specific class if, say, you go from medieval fantasy where, you know, fighter, rogue, wizard makes sense to modern-day police procedural where, you know, a fighter, a rogue, and a wizard don't necessarily make sense. So instead of classes, there's kind of general archetypes that are built out, um, you know, from setting to setting. A lot of their setting books, Deadlands included, have different archetypes based on the, the world that you're in. And um, they basically serve to give you an idea of what, you know, you should focus on as far as your attributes and your skills. And they really kind of help you build out a character that does what you would like your character to do, although if you don't want to lock yourself into a specific archetype, you don't necessarily have to follow those rules. And so it's it's really just an exercise in, in giving you complete freedom to do what you want to do with your character uh, by not locking certain abilities behind certain classes. It's a lot easier to, say, create a spell sword with uh, something like Savage Worlds, where you can take both combat feats, or uh, rather combat edges, and then arcane edges to give you that spell casting as well. And then that kind of leads into the other thing that uh, makes Savage Worlds unique, and that's the edges and hindrances. Because in a lot of games, uh, specifically 5e comes to mind when you mention this, your characters will have flaws that uh, you're supposed to come up with or you're supposed to roll for. The trouble with the flaw system in 5e is it's more of a suggested role-playing thing. Like, you know, this kind of fleshes out your character a little bit more, gives you something to role-play, gives you kind of a, you know, complete character, you know, who's, who's not necessarily God's gift to the world. You know, this, this character's got some issues. Uh, so you have this this one central flaw that you need to kind of roleplay out, but there are no mechanics to actually help you roleplay that flaw out. And a lot of times DMs will be like, hmm, are you... Uh, a lot of times DMs won't be like, hmm, are you really roleplaying your flaw here? It's something that really just kind of falls by the wayside. I couldn't tell you a single character at any of my table's flaws right now off the top of my head. And that's, I mean, that's just the way 5e is played. The way that Savage Worlds does it, though, is your hindrances have actual effect on your character mechanically. And the way that they make up for some of those uh, mechanical hindrances that, you know, the, the hindrances put on your characters is they give you points that you can put towards either increasing your attributes or taking edges. Edges are kind of like your feats from D&D, but a little bit different, and we'll get into the specifics behind that as we dig in here. So once you have that down, you get into your traits. Traits are broken up into two different categories. Uh, the first category is attributes. Uh, these are like your stats in 5e. Um, every character starts with a d4 in each of the five attributes. These attributes are key to all of the skills that you can learn, and they are as follows. Agility, Smarts, Spirit, Strength, and Vigor. 
And uh, those all are, are kind of self-explanatory in, in the name. Spirit's one that gets a little bit nebulous. I don't know that I would have necessarily named it Spirit. We'll kind of get into what that does here in just a little bit. And then from there, you have your skills. And skills are, you know, specializations based on the different uh, attributes that you have. And uh, they allow your character to do things, uh, you know, like hand-to-hand -hand fighting, shooting, computer hacking, driving, horseback riding, rock climbing musical talent, that kind of stuff. And then the last aspect of traits that you have here are derived stats. Um, this is stuff like pace, which is your movement speed, and then parry, which is your uh, melee defense, and then your uh, size, which is generally zero unless you have an edge or a hindrance that changes that, and then your toughness, which is your damage threshold, which is the number that damage has to beat in order to inflict a wound upon you. And so uh, digging in here, another aspect of character creation to keep in mind is races. Um, and again, Savage Worlds being setting agnostic includes a wide variety of different uh, races that you have here. There's lots of examples in this uh, in this book that just kind of pull from all the different settings. Uh, but you've got everything from androids to angels to dwarves and elves, half elves, halflings, actual rakshasas. Uh, I typically don't think of Rakshasas as a playable race. I think of them more as a monster. Uh, in 5e, they're called Tabaxi. I'm splitting hairs here, though. This doesn't actually matter if they're called Tabaxi or Rakshasa. They're cat people. So if you have one of those players at your table, uh, they will be happy to know that, yes, you can indeed be a cat person in uh, Savage Worlds, so long as that fits within the setting that you're running. And of course, there are humans. There's always going to be humans. But one thing that's actually really cool about uh, Savage Worlds that you can do um, with this book is make your own races, because each of these races, like, Races in Savage Worlds have um, positive racial abilities, and then some of them have racial hindrances as well, or negative racial abilities. And so Shane's actually built this nice table here that helps you, uh, you know, build out a custom race if, say, the race that you're looking for is not listed in the book here. Now, if you bought one of their fantasy books, I'm sure you could see orcs, but, you know, in this this particular book, uh, there are no orcs that I can see. So yeah, you'd have to, unless you wanted to buy one of their uh, setting books, you'd have to kind of build out orcs yourself. Uh, but it's you know pretty easy to do with the tools that you're given. And then at the very end here, there are celestials and guardians and guardians are like, you know, humans that are touched by an angel, I suppose, or they serve the heavenly choir as it were. You know, there's there's details for them. Uh, but yeah, with that, you're, you're able to pretty much make whatever race you want again very very adaptable uh list here of, of races and from there you move on to hindrances now again i mentioned that hindrances have actual in-game you know consequences to them and and some of these they're broken up into two categories major and minor Minor hindrances, you uh, don't get as many points for them and they don't affect you as much. Uh, major hindrances can affect you big time and, you know, can, can definitely, uh, you know, make things very, very interesting for you. I, I don't remember if it's listed in this book or if it's just in uh, the Deadlands book, but there is a hindrance in Deadlands 
I think it's called ailing, where uh, your your character has a sickness of some sort, and it can be either major or minor. But at kind of the highest level of of sickness with with that particular hindrance, uh, you have to roll a dice to see if you die. So yeah, this is uh, this is something that uh, now can definitely uh, definitely create challenges for you both role playing and in game. But these are just uh, you know flaws that that kind of play out. Um, as you play the game, you know you can take a uh, you can take a hindrance that makes you elderly. You're uh, you're kind of an old person, and it reduces your pace, and uh, you have a minus one to agility and strength and vigor. It does give you five extra skill points, though. So you know you're, you're trading things off. That's one that I actually might end up taking because I have a tendency uh, to play old man characters. Something that I like to do because I am. As I've already said before, an old man trapped in a young man's body. But yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff, and you're able to take up to four hindrances, or up to four points of hindrances, because a major hindrance is worth two points, and a minor is worth one. So you could take four minor, or you could take two major, or you know, a major and two minor, however you want to split that up. Um, you can take more hindrances, but you can only get points for uh, up to four points worth. And those points go back into your stats to make your character a little bit better. So, uh, you know, with taking hindrances uh, with two points, you can either raise an attribute die by one die type, which we'll get into in just a little bit, or you can get an edge. And then for one point, you can gain a skill point or uh, gain additional starting funds to help you get more equipment. Because this is one of those settings where you have to buy your equipment. There's no starting equipment because there's no classes. And so from hindrances, you go directly into your traits page. And then here, you know, we have our attributes. Again, just to go through them again, agility, uh, that's your nimbleness, your dexterity, coordination, smarts is your intelligence, uh, spirit is self-confidence, backbone, and willpower. I probably would have made that willpower rather than spirit. But then again, what do I know? I'm just doing a podcast, not releasing adventures that people actually buy and play. And then uh, strength, physical power, and fitness, you know, that's it's pretty hard to obfuscate that one and then vigor is kind of like your uh, constitution and so uh, with attributes basically that can determine how fast your skills increase during advancement it limits your access to edges and it can determine you know your your toughness your melee damage your range damage uh, that kind of stuff and then it helps you resist effects like uh, you know being grappled countering spells social attacks, which are like, you know, taunts or intimidation. And then from there, uh, you go into skills. Actually, before we before we leave attributes, uh, I believe that you start with a, let's see. Yeah, you start with five points. And the way that skills and attributes work in Savage Worlds, instead of 5e, where you have a d20 that you roll for all of your you know, skill checks and stuff like that. In Savage Worlds, every attribute and skill has an associated die. So you start with a d4. 
D4 is the lowest that you can have, and you go all the way up to a D12. And for most things, rather for most races, you cannot exceed a D12 in any of your attributes, and you can't exceed a D12 in any of your skills. Some races allow you to go above a D12, and with that you start to add, you know, plus one, plus two, so forth and so on. So basically, when it comes time to roll a check, you roll your die, and then you also roll a d6, which is a wild die. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So everyone starts with a d4 in each of these skills. And then from there, uh, you've got five points to raise some of those attributes as you see fit. Uh, based on the kind of character that you want. Uh, so if you're wanting to build like a melee focused character, you know, you're going to add to your strength and vigor. If you're going to build like a ranged character, you'd have to add to your agility. Uh, adding to your vigor seems like a good idea. Just in general, there's a lot of vigor checks that have to be made, especially if you start taking wounds. Uh, so yeah, that's that should never be your dump stat. Never make constitution your dump stat. And so yeah, from there you move on to skills. All heroes start with 12 points to spend on skills. You can get more uh, depending on the hindrances that you took. And some edges might give you certain skills. You know, if you took that elderly hindrance, you'll have five extra points. And skills work the same way as uh, skills work the same way as attributes where you have certain die types. Uh, there are skills that you that everyone starts with a D4 in. You don't have to, you know, buy in to these uh, very basic skills. Let me look those up here. They're called your core skills, and these are skills that everyone has, and they are athletics, common knowledge, notice, persuasion, and stealth. Uh, so yeah, basically everyone starts with a D4 in those so that you don't have to make untrained checks because all of those are fairly important. But from there, uh, like I said, 12 points that you can put to raise uh, die types. One thing that's important about skills, you cannot raise a skill, or actually you, you can raise a skill above the associated die or you can raise a skill above the associated die type on the associated attribute but at that point it will cost you more points that's a very confusing statement i even confused myself while saying it so let me explain with a uh illustration here let's say you have a d8 in smarts. So you have a D8 in smarts. Uh, to raise your electronic skill up to a D8 costs one point. So you put one point in for a D4, one in for a D6, one for a D8. If you want to go all the way up to a D12 in electronics, because you want your character to go from manager of Best Buy to computer hacker, it then requires two points to go from a D8 to a D12 if you only have a D8 in smarts. And so that's important. And there's all kinds of skills here. One that I actually wanted to bring up as it's associated with persuasion, there's a, a very interesting table here for the GM to use. It's called a reaction table, and it's a 2d6 table that you roll on. And it basically allows you to determine an NPC's reaction to players, which is something that a lot of GMs kind of struggle with uh, in general. I kind of default to all NPCs are neutral to the players until they show up, but it does thematically make sense sometimes for an NPC to initially be hostile to players. Um, a good example of this is Dark Sun. 
in kind of the flavor text of Dark Sun, it says that a lot of people are mistrusting of outsiders or people they don't recognize in the world of Athos because, well, pretty much everyone is just in it for themselves on Athos. Everyone's in it to survive. And so a lot of people will just steal your shit. So it makes sense for a random NPC to be very hostile towards players initially. Uh, but this table just kind of takes that pressure off of you. And so if someone's just approaching a random NPC in a tavern, you all know that it happens all the time. There's that one NPC you didn't bother to cook up a backstory for, and that's the one that your players are going to go talk to. So with this handy-dandy reactions table, you roll 2d6 and immediately you know how that NPC is going to react to the players. Just a little uh, kudos I wanted to give to Shane and, and Clint here. And then there's one other thing that they actually threw in here that I really, really like. And that is uh, familiarity rules when it comes to uh, characters with uh, scientific expertise. So you've all seen movies or, you know, comics or TV shows where a character is a quote-unquote scientist. And when it comes to any aspect of the sciences whatsoever, they immediately know everything about whatever subject comes up. With Savage Worlds here, it kind of forces you to specialize your character. And so if you take, you know, the, the weird science skill or, you know, you, you take... I mean, there, there is a skill that's just science. So if you take that... Uh, your, or, you know, you take the academics or the research skill, uh, you will have to come up with the, at least at my table, you will have to come up with the specialization that your character goes into, and the book straight up says, if they are looking at something that's outside of their specialization, uh, the DM should feel free to impose penalties, uh, from, you know, up to minus one, all the way up to minus four on the players. So, as an example, if your character is a world-class chemist, and this is actually listed in the book, and someone comes up to you asking you to, you know, fix the the warp core on a Starfleet uh, galaxy-class starship, uh, you're, as a chemist, you're not really going to have that exact knowledge and so you you're going to have to roll on uh, you're going to have to roll with a uh, imposed kind of disadvantage there, just to prevent uh, Reed Richards syndrome from taking over. And then from there, we get into the edges. Now, edges I've alluded to here a little bit, but edges are really what kind of makes your character specialized in a certain way. They're, they really replace classes, as it were. Uh, they're, they're kind of like a hybrid of class and feats. And you get these... Uh, firstly, if you, uh, you know, depending on your race, you might get to pick different edges to begin with. Uh, certain skills might require, certain skills are required to take certain edges, but certain skills don't give you certain edges. I was mistaken there. But then the other way to get edges is to, uh, you know, take big level hindrances so that you can get if you take two major hindrances then you can get two uh, edges in addition and so these edges are kind of broken up into different categories depending on you know background combat arcane and each edge will have an associated requirement of you have to be a certain rank uh ranks take place of levels we'll talk about that and you have to have certain associated stats if you've got a d4 in spirit you are not going to be able to take the brave edge 
If you have a, a D4 in strength or vigor, you are not gonna be able to take the brute edge. But yeah, these edges just kind of give you different things that you can do. Uh, some of them give you actual bonuses to combat, like a lot of these combat edges. There's one called block that increases your parry by plus one, and then uh, it kind of reduces your, uh, your gang up penalties, which is what happens when you're flanked. And then the other thing about edges is, you know, like I said, these are kind of a hybrid between uh, class and feat. Edges determine your spell casting. So if you are in a setting where people can be wizards or sorcerers or, you know, whatever you want to do, you'll have to take, I believe it is Arcane Background is the first one. Yeah. Yeah, Arcane Background is the first edge that you have to take. Uh, the only requirement is that you be a novice, which is the starting level for characters. And uh, basically that allows you to start picking spells or powers. And then there's other ones that... Um, I think there's one called Gifted that acts more like superpowers. Again, that's covered in a different uh, different book. There is a full-on superhero expansion. Besides just Necessary Evil, uh, there's a full-on superhero book for uh, Savage Worlds. That's one that I should pick up at some point because, you know, I, I am interested in running superhero campaigns. I, I do have Mutants and Masterminds, which, uh, you know... That's my favorite superhero book, but I'd be interested to see how Savage Worlds compares to Mutants and Masterminds for uh, for superheroes. Because Shane has mentioned multiple times, you know, that, that he loves running superhero games. He's also a super big, uh, you know, superhero fan, so... It'd be interesting to see how his how his system stacks up against Mutants and Masterminds, which is very, very clearly designed specifically for superheroes and only superheroes. But yeah, a lot of these are really cool. You know, they've got cool names. Uh, there's one called MacGyver, which is basically you can make shit up, craft improvised, you know, items and weapons. There's a martial arts one. And then there's like, you know, weird edges, which are, you know, like kind of represent uh, gifts, gifts from the gods. There's one that's chi that you know lets you be a martial arts master kind of like a monk and then from there once you have your edges you have yourself a complete character there are no hit points instead there's a wound system which we'll get into when we discuss combat and the last thing to talk about here is advancement because as i mentioned there are no levels Instead, there are ranks, and uh, for every three advancements, uh, you get to a new rank. So zero through three, you're a novice. Four through seven, you're seasoned. Eight through 11, you're a veteran. 12 through 15, you're heroic. And then 16 plus, you're legendary. There's no experience points. Everything is recommended, basically milestone. Shane recommends that, uh, you know, if you're playing like a 10 session campaign, you advance every other session. Uh, if you're playing a little bit longer than that, then you probably go like every three sessions. And the way that advancement works is that you can do one of the following. You can gain a new edge, increase a skill uh, that is equal to or greater than its linked attribute by one die type, or you can increase two skills that are lower by one die type, uh, increase an attribute by die type, or permanently remove a minor hindrance or reduce a major hindrance to minor. Or the book also mentions that you could save up two advancements in a row and then completely get rid of a major hindrance. 
So if your character is dying, they could get better. If your character is old, they could suddenly become young again. I don't know. I feel like that's one that you shouldn't remove. Maybe removing some of these hindrances isn't a good idea. At the end of this first chapter, you just get a summary of all the hindrances and the traits, all listed out in table form for easy access by a dungeon master or player. So that leads us into chapter two, which focuses entirely on gear. Now, uh, as far as gear is concerned in Savage Worlds, uh, like I said, you have to uh, buy all of your gear to start off with. You start with basics like a set of clothing. Uh, if it's a modern setting, uh, Shane even mentions here that, you know, it, it would be reasonable to expect that you have like, you know, a phone, a vehicle, a place to live, basic you know, stuff that everyone has just kind of lying around the house. But as far as adventuring gear is concerned, you do have to purchase that. Everyone starts off with uh, roughly $500. I guess you could convert that to gold or mercurials or whatever it is that your, uh, your setting uses. And the chapter actually starts off with just a glossary of terms that apply to uh, the different uh, items that can be found in here. And then from there, uh, Shane kind of gets into the different, uh, you know, gear that you can find from common gear into, uh, you know, ammunition, armor. And this is all from, you know, fantasy to ancient to modern. Uh, then you get into weapons firearms there's a, a nice extensive list of firearms here uh laser weapons special weapons like uh, cannons and catapults and ballistas mines grenades missiles flamethrowers there's a flamethrower in here it basically uses a 40k uh, flamethrower template but yeah, there's there's kind of broad strokes of, of different gear from different eras. Uh, if you are set in a very specific era, though, you might find some of this is lacking. Uh, there might be some certain things that you're looking for that you're not able to find. That's due to the fact that, you know, they do have to sell setting books for these various settings that they have. So again, if you're running Deadlands and you're wondering, you know, okay, I see a uh, cult peacemaker in here, but what about my 44 school field? That's in the Deadlands book. I have it. You, you have to buy it. And then from, uh, from you know, items and, and weapons, you get into vehicles. There's an extensive list of vehicles here from bicycles to ships, uh, both like water ships and airships and spaceships. And yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. A lot of these costs are hard to quantify, but, you know, Shane's kind of done the work for you here. And there's rules for, you know, chases and, and actually controlling these vehicles and stuff like that. We'll get into that here in just a little bit. So yeah, um, with this list, you, you never have to have a debate about how much a ship would cost. And I would just like to reiterate that you should not spend an hour trying to figure out where you're going to get a boat from. Uh, if you take away one thing from this podcast, it's that you should never spend an hour deliberating over where you're going to get your boat from, especially if someone can get a boat for free. And so from there, we move into the third chapter, which is on the rules. And so here is where we can get into some of the stuff that's actually required to play Savage Worlds. Uh, so the main things that you need are polyhedral dice, because this is a role-playing game, God damn it! a deck of cards with jokers, that's important, and then poker chips. And uh, poker chips are used as, uh, Shane likes to call them bennies. 
Shane is the only person in the world I've ever heard use that term. I'm only 24, though, so it's possible that, you know, that's just kind of, you know, something that people don't say anymore. Uh, but if you play Savage Worlds, then by Thunder, you're going to say it and you're going to like it. And so, yeah, you need those uh, those three basic things. And uh, the rules kind of divide up certain characters and character types into different uh, kind of settings here. And uh, the first one is wild cards. So wild cards are your player characters, as well as important uh, big name NPCs and your boss monsters or big bads. Uh, wild cards can take three wounds before they're incapacitated, whereas uh, extras, the other kind, can only take one. And wild cards have an extra benefit called the wild die, which basically functions like advantage in 5th edition. Basically, the wild die is an extra d6. And uh, no matter what your dice type is for a trait or a skill, it's always going to be a d6. And basically, if you roll a 1 on your attribute roll, you can use the wild die to take its place. If you roll the 1 on both the wild die and on the attribute die, that's a critical failure. And then there are consequences. So yeah, there is kind of... Uh, there, there are... Uh, Critical fumbles in this game. I don't know what Luke thinks of Savage Worlds. Luke Hart from the DM lair. I'll have to ask him. I have to reach out to him. I need to reach out to him anyway, because I want to do another episode with him. But yeah, that's kind of the benefit of being a wild card. And then there are extras who are minions and basic NPCs. They can take one wound before being incapacitated, and they don't have wild dies. And so the wild die, you only get one per action, even if you're rolling multiple dice for a single action, and it replaces uh, a trait die. It's not a, uh, it's not a skill die. So yeah, it's a, it's a trait die, a skill die, and then your wild die, which can replace a, uh, can replace a, a, a trait die. And uh, what happens with those is if you roll the max number on a trait die or on your wild die or your skill die, they are aces and they explode. That's the way that Shane likes to put it. And what that means is you get to roll again. And if you roll max again, then you roll again and you add all that together. And uh, you you add these numbers together to, to beat a certain CR, essentially, or someone's defense or toughness threshold or something like that. And so, you know, if you have a particularly uh, high streak of luck, let's say you uh, you're rolling 2d6, and, you know, they both turn up sixes, and then, you know, you basically get to roll again. And let's say those turn up sixes again, and you, you roll again. And so, you know, with the dice exploding the way they are, you can do some crazy stuff and get some crazy high numbers on the board. Um, which is something that's really cool about Savage Worlds, is that ability to ace. Uh, imagine, in D&D, in &D, if you get to roll, you know, you, you roll that 20, and then you get to roll again. Now, with the way that the rules are set up, that, uh... You know, wouldn't really wouldn't really work but you know it's uh it's something interesting that uh savage worlds adds and then uh from there you've got raises which uh basically every four increments above the target number that you're trying to hit above that challenge rating that you're trying to exceed uh additional benefits are added and then if you hit below um you know by certain increments again increments of four uh, certain complications happen. And so that's a way that you can kind of fail forward if your player rolls just under, you know, they succeed, but with a complication. 
And failing forward is really important. Matt Colville actually recently did a video on failing forward that everyone needs to see. It's something that I wish he would have done earlier because I definitely could have used guidance on this when I first started. Failing forward is one of the biggest lessons that you can learn as a GM. In fact, I might even have to do just a, a, a rant on that at some point, maybe even next week, just talking about failing forward. Because nothing slows down the game quite like a player not making a role they were supposed to make. Anyway, uh, moving on from the, the dice, uh, you get into another feature of Savage Worlds that's, uh, you know, very specific to, to the game, and that's Benny's. Uh, like we mentioned, bennies are your poker chips. Every player starts off each session with three that they can only use during that session. They don't carry over. And uh, bennies are basically luck points. Uh, GMs can give them out kind of like you can give out inspiration in 5e uh, for good role play or for really cool moments. And then the other way that you can get them in a session is through Joker's Wild, uh, which is when a player pulls a Joker from the action deck, which we'll get into in just a minute. And when they do that, then all players get uh, get to pull bennies. Uh, the the interesting thing about uh, you know bennies in the game though is that the GM gets them too. The GM gets one for each player at the table. And then when the GM draws a Joker, you get another Benny. And so the way that these are used, like I said, they're kind of like luck points. They let you reroll a trait unless it's a critical failure. Uh, you can use them to automatically recover from being shaken, which we'll get to in the damage section. Uh, you can make a soak roll, which is a vigor check to remove wounds. Again, we'll get to that in the uh, <clears throat> damage section. Uh, they allow you to draw a new action card, basically see if you can move up in advantage or in initiative. Uh, they let you regain power points if that's relevant to you, or they let you influence the story. So with that in mind, uh, you get into combat. One kind of downside of Savage Worlds that I want to mention is that the combat system in the game assumes that you're using miniatures. And they straight up say that in the book. Uh, they say, you know... Everything's kind of written assuming that you're using a battle mat and miniatures. You can do it theater of the mind, but you'll, again, kind of have to, you know, reconnoiter the way that, you know, you're seeing things. And they give you guidance on how to do this, but this is very much designed for tactical combat. It'd be, it'd be pretty difficult to run this theater of the mind just thinking about it. Uh, so keep that in mind if you don't want to invest in miniatures or a battle mat, but you want to play Savage Worlds. Uh, so the aforementioned action deck. Like I said, this is how you decide initiative in the game. Uh, basically, the DM deals a card to everyone, themselves included. Everyone flips over, and then you resolve the turn from uh, ace to deuce, as the book says. Uh, ace is high. If there's a tie, say two people have a jack, then you go by suits, spades, trumps hearts, trumps diamonds, trumps clubs. And so, you know, with your cards, that's how you decide to turn order. It's pretty simple, and I, I actually really like that. Uh, it was really cool, a really cool flavor thing in Deadlands, because it was kind of like playing poker, and it's a cowboy game. And I'm, I'm glad that that carried over from Savage Worlds, or carried over to Savage Worlds, rather, because uh, it's just a really cool system. I know it's another thing, it's another thing that you have to get to play the game, uh, but it's awesome. I, I love it. It's really cool. And then on your turn, uh, you get to move and take one regular action on your turn. Uh, there are some free actions that you can take, um, you know, like speaking, moving up to your pace, that kind of stuff. Spirit checks are typically a free action. Resisting and opposing roles are free actions. And then attacking 
you know, that all your actions are pretty standard fare. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the rules of this book because you should buy the book. If you want to run the game, you, you need to buy the book. And then the other thing I want to mention here is damage. Uh, there are no hit points in this game. Uh, damage rolls have to beat the toughness score of the enemy that you're attacking. And then if they do, the character is shaken. And then from there, uh, they get a wound. And like I said at the top, wild cards can take three wounds. Extras can only take one. So if you're shooting at just a generic bandit in a game of Deadlands, and you, uh, you hit them twice uh, the first time, they'll be shaken second time they'll die uh for a wild card though so if you're shooting at the big bad if you're shooting at john wesley harden uh he can take up to three wounds but each time he takes a wound it's minus one to his pace and minus one to each trait roll maximum minus four i believe minus three and then from there he goes down He's incapacitated, and uh, when you're incapacitated, you have to make a vigor roll, uh, which has different results. Critical failure means you die instantly. Uh, a regular failure means you roll on the injury table. Those injuries can be permanent, by the way. Depends on how soon you get to them. Uh, success, uh, sustained injuries go away, and the success of the raise, uh, you roll on the table, and those injuries go away for a full 24, or they go away in 24 hours or when all your wounds are healed. Uh, until that time, you are bleeding out, and you have to make vigor checks until you uh, succeed and then you're stabilized or until you die. And when it comes to combat, um, you know, situational rules, there's called shots, stuff like that. Thank you, Ronan. That crazy cat. But yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, like very specific rules, finishing moves, firing into melee, suppressing fire. They really did try to think of everything. And that's that's another thing I want to get into, kind of the difference between a crunchy system like Savage Worlds and more open systems like Matt Finch and I were talking about. And which one will work better for you really comes down to your preferences as a GM or a player. A lot of GMs like to have the freedom to decide, okay, this is how I'm going to run, say, a chase sequence, or this is how I want to handle called shots. I actually had a situation in uh, my game last Saturday where a player wanted to do a called shot, uh, but we were running 5th edition and there's no rules for it. So basically, I had to do something on the fly where uh, I said, okay, you can do that. You have to roll at disadvantage. But when it comes to rules specifically enumerating every little contingency plan, at that point, you're very much stuck with what, you know, the rules say. And you're very much having to go to rules as written. Whereas with a more open system like 5e or even a super open system like OD&D or Swords and Wizardry, there's more leeway for you to interpret and, you know, decide how to use the rules in that situation. And so it all comes down to personal preference, really. That's, that's what it is at the end of the day. But with this being a crunchy game, you know, Shane put a lot of effort into coming up with uh, these rules. And, you know, for the most part, they actually are pretty cool. And then uh, from there, we get into chapter four, which is the Adventurer's Toolkit. Uh, this basically gives you uh, different things that you can incorporate in your campaign that might come up as far as chase rules or, you know, adding drama to tasks. Uh, fear if you're wanting to run a horror game, different hazards, story interludes for character development, uh, mass battles, which is huge. Savage Worlds is designed for you to have mass battles. That's very important. And along the way, another thing that it's uh, designed for is quick encounters. Uh, having played Savage Worlds, I can tell you this game actually moves pretty fast, even like for a crunchy game. Turns typically don't take that 
that long. It's typically pretty easy to figure out what you're doing, then you just make the rolls and you keep going. But if you really don't have much time, uh, there's a quick encounter system, which Shane actually used in the game that I played uh, with him in, which basically allows you to make either one roll per character based on the trait that the trait and the skill that you would need for a certain thing. So you make like one attack roll or one computer hacking roll or something like that. And then instead of doing a full tactical encounter right there um you basically just resolve it with role play it's kind of the uh, the resolution to the decker problem you make one roll and then you narrate how you break the ice and all that rather than having to break out a separate card game or whatever the fuck you deckers like to do that's been that that will always be a big thing for me until i actually get to play a cyberpunk game i can guarantee you that i won't be playing a decker that's not where my interests lie at all so uh yeah yeah i'm gonna keep bringing up the decker problem until uh until I actually play a, uh, a cyberpunk game, which hopefully will be soon. I really do want to get into playing cyberpunk games. And then from there, there's setting rules and other, you know, different stuff that you can incorporate in your game based on what you're doing. And then the rest of the book is kind of lists. Uh, the next chapter, chapter five, is powers. And this is kind of your, your spell book and your superpowers and stuff like that. Again, there's a, a whole separate uh, <clears throat> tome kind of based around... You know, if you want to run a superhero game. And then from there, once you get through the powers and all the different associated powers and stuff like that, you get into the sixth chapter, which is the bestiary, which gives you uh, ideas about how to construct monsters, gives you some example monsters from different settings and stuff like that that you can adapt for the setting that you're running. And then the seventh chapter is game mastering. And this basically just kind of walks you through, uh, you know, your, kind of your, your introduction to, to game mastering and how to to do it in savage worlds and from there that is pretty much it you've got uh, example templates in the back uh, you have a nice little index no character sheets but you can get those online for free because you know that's pretty standard for rpgs and then the back cover you've got the uh, the spread from the front cover again and that is savage worlds adventurers edition that's suede uh, overall i really enjoy the package uh, it's really cool and I really hope that sometime soon I'll get to run Savage Worlds. You know, next time I volunteer to run a game, I, I probably should volunteer to run Savage Worlds because, you know, I like it so much. Um, I'll probably hold out until Deadlands Suede comes out because I want to play Deadlands. Uh, but, you know, I might try to do something, you know, cyberpunk with it. You know, see if Pinnacle has a cyberpunk book. They, they probably do. I'll just look it up. But yeah, Savage Worlds is really cool. And uh, for those of you who are looking to kind of expand beyond the realm of 5th edition or D&D or fantasy in general, uh, the one thing that I will recommend is to pick up Savage Worlds. Unless you want to play a superhero game, then pick up Mutants and Masterminds. So yeah, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, fortunately, I had more than enough material to uh, to you know make this a full-length episode, kind of make up for last week. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, next week we were supposed to talk with Levi Combs. Uh, due to this whole coronavirus uh, craziness, uh, he's actually pushing back his campaign. Uh, so you might just get another episode with just me. Uh, we do have some guests booked for April, and I'm looking into getting people for May and June already. But the next guest that I already have booked is uh, John and Joseph Page from Project Full Blade. 
Uh, as you recall, John Page does my intro music now. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. They've got a cool RPG that they're working on. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about some uh, some other topics that really interest me. Specifically, we'll be talking about kind of the liberty movement and libertarianism within podcasts. As you no doubt know now, that will get political. That's kind of where I stand politically, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm actually really excited to kind of get that stuff out in the open and talk about it on the show. But yeah, that's going to do it for uh, today's episode. So until next time, guys, uh, when, you know, you'll get another rant from me. Uh, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I am so glad that you decided to roll your bones with me, Ryan Howard. Tell your friends, tell your game masters, tell your groups, tell your grandmas, your postmen that Rollin' Bones is your place for RPG interviews and product reviews and gaming rants. And I'll see you next time.